Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Tuesday, April 14th. On today's episode, I'm joined by Susan Ogle of Positive Tomorrows, an Oklahoma City school that serves homeless students. She speaks with me about her school's work during this time of distance learning across Oklahoma and what her school is doing to meet the challenge. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus numbers. On Monday, the State Department of Health reported 99 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 2,069. Total hospitalizations reached 457, and three additional deaths brought the total to 99. Hi, it's Ben, and before we continue with today's episode, I want to say thanks for listening. Maybe you've discovered the frontier from this podcast, or maybe you are a longtime reader. Either way, your support is critical. If you've found yourself valuing the type of journalism we at the frontier produce, then I'd like to invite you to consider making a donation. Even $5 or $10 a month goes a long way in making our work possible. We also value our readers for story ideas and tips. If you know of an issue that needs further investigation, then find our contact information at readfrontier.org. Our work is made possible because of you. Thank you. Last week, I published a story on how children facing homelessness or housing instability are handling the closure of school buildings across the state. Many schools are turning to digital learning, but that can be a challenge for families who lack internet connectivity or devices or an adult to help lead students through lessons. My article included stories from Positive Tomorrows, which is doing some innovative things to try and continue reaching their students. I interviewed Susan Ogle, the leader of the school, but I asked her to come on the podcast to talk a little more about her work and this challenging time for schools across the state. Here is that conversation. So, Susan, um, obviously, this is a really challenging time for, for almost every sector and industry that you can think of across across the country yeah. and across the world, but especially for schools. And here in Oklahoma, like a lot of other states, uh, schools have have closed their buildings and have transitioned to a distance learning model. And, and that looks different depending on what school or district that you're in. Um, and, and for you guys, there's also some unique challenges that, that you guys face as well. First off, tell, tell us a little bit about Positive Tomorrows. What kind of school is it? Uh, who are your students and, and what, what's your mission there? Positive Tomorrows is, is really a very unique school. Uh, we've looked and there's not that many across the country that really do the kinds of things that we do. But we are a, uh, basically, we're a private school, 
that focuses on providing education to children whose families are experiencing homelessness. So at any point in time, we have children who are living in one of the local homeless shelters. We have children whose families, um, whose parents may be in one of the local um, addiction rehab programs. That We have moms who are in Remerge, which is the prison diversion program for women. We have children whose, um, oh, they, they may have gotten some, some money and so they're living in a motel for, a, for a, a little while. We have children that are just bouncing around from family member to family member. They're, you know, parents are with them, but they're all just bouncing around trying to just stay off the street. So those are the kinds of children that we're serving. Um, we're currently pre-K through sixth grade. These are the kids that really have a, have a rough time in school. Yeah. In, in typical school, because they bounce around so much, they're highly mobile families. They lack uh, transportation and just a lot of things that make it make it difficult for them to succeed in school. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, you know, and and our our, our primary goal is to take um, to work with these families, to work with children. They're behind academically. They're behind socially. They don't know how to rep- relate to their peers well, or how to ask for help in the classroom. Um, so they're behind that way. Their families are very chaotic. Um, we want to help the kids get back up to speed. And then at the same time, we have case managers that work with the families closely, intensively, uh, case manage that family, help them determine their own goals. First of all, make sure everybody has food and shelter and clothing and what they need. But then we help, help mom and, and dad, um, put together some goals. What, you know, what kind of jobs would they like to have? What things are standing in their way of having housing? Do they have past evictions in the way or do they owe on utility bills or, and just help them step through those bit by bit. Um, and, and the whole goal is to stabilize the families, get the children where they need to be. And then once the family's been stable and they have income coming in and they've been paying their bills for a while, then what we'll do is, then eventually help the children transition back into public school. And so that family can just be a normal family, <laughs> contribute to society just like anybody else. And that, that's our goal for all the families we work with. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that really uh, stuck out to me in talking to you and some of your teachers and case managers and parents was that you guys are in a lot of ways, at least from the stories I'm here, I mean, you're moving mountains, right? I mean, over the last several months, yeah you know, the, yeah. the progress that some kids are able to make and, and the, and the, the gains that families are able to make with, with your help. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. And right. here we are a couple months away from the end of the school year. And mm-hmm. we're, you know, we all are thrown this, but we're throwing this, this big curveball. Right. And, and for you as a leader of the school, you know, what were some of your initial thoughts when you think about mm-hmm. The, the work that you guys have done this year, and not that this erases it at all, but this is a huge yeah. challenge now when you finally are, yeah. are supposed to be getting to a, a time where you're celebrating those gains and hopefully, uh, you know, helping guide kids to the, to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things you, a lot of things I wonder about, a lot of things I worry about. Um, and it's, it has to do primarily with um, the children that we're serving. You can't, and the families that we're serving, you just can't turn your back on. Yeah. You just, you, you know, you can't walk away from. And 
we know lots and we know from experience that many times when children aren't in school, the children that we're serving, that they don't eat, um, they may not be in a nice, good place, safe place to sleep. Um, there's, you know, there's just a lot of things that make it really difficult for them. Um, and so, so that's what we, we worry about. We worry about, are they going to slip behind? They don't, you know, they can't, they can't miss <laughs> school yeah. like this. It, it's just so easy for them to slip behind already. And so we worry about that. And then at the same time, while all of this is going on and you know you've got, you've got this commitment you've made to your clients and the children we're serving, at the same time, we need to keep staff safe. Yeah. And so you worry about that. Is how What's the best way to do that and, and meet all the commitments? And, and sometimes it just feels like there's a lot to overcome. Yeah. You know, so student, or so schools across the state are, are moving to this distance learning model, and it looks different in, in, in different parts in different districts. And, right. and you know, some districts are, are really embracing, this, uh, you know, a digital learning program. I mean, some districts, their, their students are already equipped with Chromebooks right. and devices they take home. And, but there's been a lot of attention and something that I've written about over the last few weeks is, is just this kind of digital divide that's, that's being spotlighted. But one thing that you said to me a couple of weeks ago when we were talking was that, mm -hmm. you know, this digital divide existed before, you know, the yeah. coronavirus, right? Yeah, it did. And, mm. and so tell me, what are things that you guys have already done um, yeah. at Positive Tomorrow's to try to um, close that gap digitally? And then yeah. what are you doing now that, that students are, are confined to their homes? Yeah, well, one of the things that we found out earlier, um, you know, it's always been something that we sort of just have kind of worked around with, with, you know, the kids, we, they, some of our curriculum is online, our reading and math curriculum has been online for a while. And that's, that really allows us to differentiate lessons based on, on where the kids are and how well they're doing. But we, they always just did it in school. They didn't, you know, they would come to school and use their Chromebook and do their lessons and work with a teacher and all that kind of thing. Then we, while we were finding, though, and, and, and at the same time, when we had parents who needed to apply for jobs and needed to do that kind of thing, we would help them in the building. They would come and we would help work through that kind of stuff. What we were finding, though, was when we were getting ready and we transitioned a child to one of our local public schools. And these, these would be kids that were doing well. They were doing well. Um, they were, uh, we actually had one young lady who was, um, actually two who were uh, students at, cl at class in school of advanced studies. These were smart kids. They were doing well. And, but then they just started to kind of fall apart. And when we started to talk with them, started to investigate what was going on, um, we determined that it was a fact that they didn't have access to a computer. They didn't have Wi-Fi at home. And yet they were being expected to do, to download lessons. They were expected to be able to do research on the internet. They were expected to be able to do all that kind of thing. And they just didn't have the capability. Um, we had one mom that would took, take all of her kids to McDonald's so that one daughter could use the free Wi-Fi. We were, see, we were seeing that kind of stuff. And that's actually a pretty easy fix if you just pay attention you know, the Cox Cable's got a program for people living in poverty that, you know, we can help them make that work. So that's what we knew was there. And then all of a sudden we were presented with this that we, need, we needed to do 
school online, just, just in the best interest of everybody involved. And so we, we canvassed all of our families just to see exactly what their situation was at home. And we found that um, about a little over half of our families needed the hardware. Um, we found that about that many needed some kind of, um, uh, whether it was a, whether it was a Wi-Fi, a Wi-Fi connection to, to the cable company or whether it was a hotspot or, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And we just figured out who needed what, and we started working on that. And, um, I, we've really decided that that just needs to be a part of our program that we always do is to make sure that before we transition a family out, that we make sure they have connectivity. Um, Cause that's just how you live anymore. That's <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, that's how you apply for jobs. That's how you, that's really how you do anything, how you keep in touch with what's going on. And so that's just, that's just something we just need to start to pro- provide for families in poverty. I think that's something that, that we need to really look at as a community um, and even across the state is that we, we have families that because of poverty issues are not able to connect online. That just, that just holds them further back and makes it harder for them to overcome their issues. Yeah. How, yeah. how well is that working right now? I know we've only been technically a week into this distance. Period, <laughs> yeah. But We're actually, yeah, it's taken us a while to get, you know, to get all that stuff done. But I, today, they are delivering Chromebooks and the hotspots. We have um, to. We have some of our families already have the ones who are like in a an apartment or in a good living situation. Uh, they are getting their Cox set up. Um, their Cox accounts are going. We have some that you know it's working. And so I really think here in another day or couple of days we'll have everybody pretty much up. Um, so we're very close to that. It's it's taking a little bit of work and a little bit of um, being creative with what we're doing, but I think we've got it to go. So we're looking forward to get to getting all that rolling. Yeah. You know, one of the unique things about your school, as you already addressed, is, you know, your team of caseworkers that are, are working closely with, with families. And I think I think most schools and that are serving at-risk populations are are well aware of the of the influence of outside factors. I mean, at home and 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 the way that poverty and other challenges impact a kid's, you know, academic abilities. But here, you guys are are able to kind of go beyond the school walls and and help work on those issues. Right. What are you seeing? What have you seen over the last few weeks from from families? I mean, how is this hitting the the population of families that you guys serve? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's hard. <laughs> this is just one more thing to, to worry about. Um, and so I think our, our, our case managers are, are really sort of still out there on the front lines of dealing with some of the issues that families are dealing with. We have um, several families that have either lost jobs or they've had their hours cut back. Yeah. Um, we have been fortunate in, in that we have gotten some emergency grant funding, uh, both from United Way and also from an anonymous donor that's provided some funding to help us keep families in their housing. Um, you know, there is, there is a, a sort of a moratorium on evictions right now, but the need to pay those bills isn't going away. So once things calm down in a few months and landlords start expecting payments, it's my fear that we're going to see an increase in the number of homeless families in our community. 
So we're trying to, we're helping families stay on top of that. We're making sure they, they keep their bills paid. Um, we're helping them deal with some of the, the issues that arise when you're trapped in a small apartment with, um, you know, all the time without a lot of resources. Um, we're making sure every family has food. Um, that's one of the things that we've, even our teachers, our, our teach classroom assistants, everybody's working on is that every, we're, we're taking grocery and household cleaning items. We're taking those donations, packing up boxes, and we're delivering those uh, food boxes weekly to families um, just to make sure that there's enough food on the table. Um, the food bank's been great to help us out with that and provide some some of the, the items that we're taking out. So, you know, it's and one of the things that I actually I just learned today is that um, our counselors are providing um, therapy packets. Teachers are not only <laughs> yeah, teachers are not only working online and they're sending worksheets, they're sending things home with the groceries, but we also our therapist is um, sending home packets of things for you know specific families can work on and things that the fam- the kids can do. So I thought that was really cool when I when I heard that we were doing that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, another thing I was thinking about uh, with your guys' particular situation is that, is that at a time when school buildings like yours are closed. You have a, a new building that was, yes, was kind of, you know, built with your kids in mind to offer some right. kind of unique features that, you know, obviously those kids aren't getting access to directly right now. Tell us a little about the, the building. Yeah, the building, the building is just fantastic. And that's, I think, for me, the hardest part about I'm working from home and I've got my brand new office. We <laughs> just, you know, a few minutes away. It's really hard. Um, we we were in an 8,000 square foot facility um, that we were just crammed into. There just was no room. There were so many things we couldn't do. Um, but thanks to our community that worked, you know, helped us out in our capital campaign and everything that we needed to do in order to raise the money for this new building is that we went from an 8,000 square foot facility to a 40 to a 42,000 square foot facility. So it's gorgeous. And it does have, um, you know, the things that we didn't have in the old building are things like a gymnasium where kids can play outside. Um, there's just a lot of space. Our classrooms are large. We have actually, um, hope to fill, we're going to be able to increase our enrollment from 75 kids to as many as 200 at some point in time. That's a lot of funding we have to find for those operating dollars, but that's that's the plan. Um, there are things in the building that were designed just for children from homeless families um, like ours. Uh, one of the things that we have in there is a kitchen lab, which has... Um, residential style appliances in there. There's um, an oven and a microwave and a washer and a dryer and a refrigerator, all those things like you would find in your house. And these are things, you know, a lot of our kids don't grow up in, in families that have nice kitchens. Um, a lot of our moms don't really know much about cooking or don't, they don't ha- have access to those sorts of things. So you can, we can have class in there. You can learn a lot of math if you double or triple a recipe. 
We also teach parents, you know, we have parent groups in there and they do different things. And so there's a lot of things that can happen in that kitchen lab. Um, we have um, uh, just some places where kids can hang out. That was one of the things they asked for. Um, our architect met with the, with the children when we were planning the building and they asked for places to hang out with their friends. Um, they asked for specific things on a nice, we've got a nice big playground out and back. Um, they, one of the things they wanted was a, a place, we were watching some Star Wars movies at the time when they wanted a lightsaber dueling arena. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't put that in, but they also asked for a tree house. And so the architects, they have kind of a stylized version of a, a little place where kids can sit like you're in the branches of a tree. It looks really cool. So, you know, there's that kind of thing. Um, we just really have some good, nice spaces for, for kids to be in. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we're just, if the building's gorgeous, I can't wait till we can open it back up again. Um, it, it's a great place to be. Yeah, you, you talk about that that fear that, you know, we're going to see even more families and children that are, are experiencing homelessness from this. And that was, a, I was talking to the director of, of homeless services at Oklahoma City Public Schools, and that's one of the things that she told me was, you know, you just worry that this is going to end up increasing that population. And of course, you don't, I know you, you you aren't wanting to see that, but it, it is interesting. It's it, maybe it's a good timing that you have a facility that can <laughs> that can meet that need if that's if that truly is what we see in the in the months to come. Yeah, I yeah, that's you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I think already people don't really understand how many homeless children there are in our in our school district. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, we're looking at numbers from last year. If you combine Oklahoma City Public Schools and Putnam City Schools, I mean, we've got upwards of 6,000 kids just in those two school districts who report themselves as living in homeless families. Um, there's a number, a lot of kids that are just bouncing around from place to place and need need that stability. Um, and yeah, it's it's a little uh, disconcerting to think about what may happen and it won't be, you know, things immediately, all this things will kind of slow down, but it'll probably be three, four, six months afterwards when people just finally can't hold on anymore and they fall off the edge. Um, so we'll have to, we'll be paying attention to that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Susan, I really appreciated your, you and your team's, uh, time over the last few weeks to help me with the story and, and thanks for, for coming on on today's podcast i i really appreciate it really important work and, and maybe even more important even though your building is closed at this time yeah. yeah well we're getting there i mean there's a lot to do we just really are are wanting to keep families from falling off that edge that's going to do it for today's episode you can find complete covid19 coverage at readfrontier.org for the frontier i'm ben felder Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Wednesday.